Hello and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. Today is February 26th. I am Michael McGraw sitting here with Michael Shutt. Both of our teams lost this weekend. Yeah. Not great. I think we should just end it there. Uh, I mean, what is there to talk about? <laughs> I mean, we have a weekend where UVA lost its second consecutive game. NC State gave up 9,000 bazillion yeah. points. Miami to- lost. That's true. Pitt is in the driver's seat to win the ACC championship regular season. Yeah. We have Arizona losing on half-court shots. And Miami, I mean, on a buzzer beater, it wasn't a half-court shot. It feels like March, right? And we it's were just talking March. about before we hit record, you were just talking about the Michigan game today. like, And the Iowa comeback over Michigan State yesterday, coming back, they hit like five threes in the last minute or so. Games are getting crazy. Teams are starting to... Re- I, think, I think you're starting to get that March desperation. And this kind of comes with the not having... A crazy elite team or any set of elite teams everybody sort of has a chance and so there's lots of games that matter almost every day it feels like all of that is true but as fans it's usually great but when it involves our teams <laughs> not playing well it's not as fun so yeah. i don't want to start with us i want to start with something that'll make me feel better about my school and your school Let's which is alabama and a wild series of days for them in the fallout of the Brandon Miller allegations. So just to reset a little bit, we have a situation where a teammate was involved in a shooting and is being charged with capital murder. In the trial for this, it came out that Brandon Miller, who is a future lottery pick and one of the best players in the country for Alabama, Probably, is, probably the best player in the country, yeah. honestly. And Alabama is maybe the best team in the country. Came out that he provided a gun that belonged to the shooter ahead yeah. of the shooting. And this happens right before their game against South Carolina, where Miller proceeds to drop 41 points, yeah. winning the game almost single-handedly for Alabama. And you have a situation where Nate Oates, the coach of Alabama, comes out and says, really a pretty bad coach speak mm-hmm. situation. Oh, about real it. bad. The worst. Uh, that Miller was just in the wrong spot at the wrong time. So all of that going on, I don't want to delve too deep into this because neither of us are lawyers. And there are still things that are coming out almost on a daily basis at this point. But when you first heard this situation this revelation that Miller was involved in some way. Uh, like, how are, how have you been processing this information? This, I find myself moving on this a lot because I have mixed feelings. So, okay, let's, I think, start with the things that people are most upset about. So, uh, Nate Oates and his comments, uh, his initial comments of wrong spot at the wrong time, terrible. Right. I mean, that's, I, I think in all of this, that's one of the few things that universally everyone can look at and just objectively say that was bad. Right. The other one being the murder itself, probably <laughs> just, just not a good look. The, the thing that I'm having a hard time getting on the same page with everyone else when it comes to Alabama, like not releasing more information earlier. It seems to me I'm getting a lot of, why didn't Alabama tell us that Brandon Miller was somehow involved in this? It's a murder case. 
they, they they really can't legally. Like you said, we're not lawyers, but there are some some FERPA things here. Like he is a student at a university, and this is a, a legal proceeding, right? That we know that they can't just release all the information to everyone all at once. And sometimes we think as sports fans, we're just entitled to know everything, and we're not, right? So. What that does that I think is really frustrating for the casual observer or even the person who's really, really engaged in this is it makes it hard to to make total judgments on everything because we don't know everything. And that's uncomfortable because we don't know how to judge this. I was listening and I don't always agree with, with Jay Billis on, on lots of things, but his take on this I kind of liked, which is that, you know, Brandon Miller does have rights. There are some some privacy rights around this, but also like... We can't just say, hey, you were around this bad thing and that means that you don't get anything anymore, right? We might not like it and it might be uncomfortable, but as far as we know, as of February 26th at 5.15, Brandon Miller didn't commit a crime, as far as we know, right? Could that change? Could the information we have be inaccurate? Possibly, right? But as far as what we know and as far as what Alabama knows, Brandon Miller did not actually commit a crime. So... You want to hold him out for being around a crime. And I understand the gun was in his car and and he was asked to bring the gun and the gun ended up at the scene. But from the legal testament, from the documents in the trial that the court has gathered, Brandon Miller was already there or within seconds of being there when the text was sent to ask him to bring the gun. And it was in the backseat of his car. When we talk about like beyond a reasonable doubt or whatever, right? Which I think should apply in the court of public opinion as well. The, uh, we don't know, it's reasonable to think that he didn't know the gun was in the back of his car, that he didn't know he was bringing it and he just happened to be there and the gun was there. That doesn't mean that that's fact, right? And, and, and that's where the challenge is. So I've seen a lot of stuff that's like, Alabama just needs to bench Brandon Miller. I, I'm not sure that I'm ready to go there. Like I... Is it, is it kind of ugly? Absolutely. There are things that, I mean, the big thing right now is in in Saturday's game on the 25th, you know, they did the same pregame introductions that they always do, to be fair. Like, I think all the information is is important where they mimic, there's a, and, and teams have done this forever, right? It's, a, it's an MMA thing where they come out and they, they mimic a pat down and they have been doing it all season. Should they have done it in the light of all this? Absolutely not, right? But I don't know, like, it's is this the worst thing in the world? It's insensitive, and it shouldn't have happened. We don't need to crucify the kid, in, in my mind, right? To me, that's on NATO's too. Like, be aware, or somebody on the staff, be aware of what your team does before the game and say, hey, guys, this thing right here, don't do that anymore. And he said that now that he knows, which it's reasonable that he doesn't know. Like, we, we're coaches. We don't always pay attention to what our kids do right before the game. So, I don't know. I do find myself really conflicted on this. So, I think there's a little bit of daylight between... I agree with some of the things you said, but I think there's some daylight between what you said and how I feel about this, which is the the overwhelming thing about, like, innocent until proven guilty. They've said right now that they don't have enough information to charge Brandon Miller with a crime. Mm -hmm. Okay, so from a legal perspective, I don't care about any of that. Like, I don't think... We even need to worry about it. I'm happy to, with the information that we have right now, say he didn't commit a crime, right? We don't know what his intent was. We don't know if he knew the gun was there. We don't know if he read his text messages, any of those things, right? It's it's really hard to litigate those things without the yeah. all the information. So I don't I don't care about that. The main thing that concerns me is 
Alabama's overall response to this, right? Mm-hmm. You have a player who gets completely drunk and shoots and kills another person with a gun. You have another player on your team who knowingly shows up to a situation where his teammate is drunk, mm-hmm. maybe knows that he has a gun, maybe doesn't, but shows up in, in that situation. Like, that's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem that Alabama isn't dealing with. Yeah. Right? I, I, don't, I don't want to crucify any of the kids either, right? Like, if you pull the trigger and shoot someone, that's really, really bad, and you yeah. should face consequences for that. I don't know what legal consequences Brandon Miller should face, if any, but from Alabama's perspective, when you have two players that are either directly or indirectly involved in a murder, to just go about your business without any kind of real investigation, without... Like, I, I get why they didn't share again, all the We don't know what they did in terms of the university or the program or the athletic department investigating. Like, Fine. I'm just saying there p- players have been held out for way less Absolutely. to get information, right? And there is still information that's being gathered right now. So for him to continue playing strikes me a little bit as a mistake, right? I think it's a mistake... For Alabama, I think it's a mistake for Nate Oates. Nate Oates has put a lot of things on his athletic director just to say, like, hey, I'm following their lead and kind of absolving himself of responsibility. Sure. There are a lot of coaches. I have a hard time believing that no team rules were broken, right? Like, I just have a hard time. Like, if I if I had players on my team that were involved in this situation, I would want to sit them. And I recognize that that's easy for me to say given that they are a top team but still like but but we don't again we don't know that and we don't get to know that we don't get to know what they may have done and and, and obviously it didn't involve sitting games right but the other thing that jay bill has said that i really agree with is they know brandon miller better than we do we don't know the kid so we don't know what... right but it also i mean they have an incentive to protect sure. both him and protect their basketball okay. program that is on track to make a final four maybe for the first time in their history. Right? Of course so. they of course they do. I'm not I'm not like dismissing that. I think that that is an important factor here. I think it's interesting as a community of sports fans, we're talking about Brandon Miller more than we're talking about Jaden Bradley. Jaden Bradley was there when the person was killed, but we don't the headlines aren't about him. Now, you could say by association they're also about him because if you sit Brandon Miller, you're obviously doing something with Jaden Bradley too. But I think that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about Darius Miles, who actually, you know. Well, at least with him, they immediately kicked him off the team. Well, yeah, because like, like, and again, they, this goes to your point. Like he was, he was not a big time player, but like Jaden Bradley to me is the is the bigger deal of like that's why is the conversation all about Brandon Miller? So, so sure, he did some. You know, we can say well because the the gun was in his car. Okay, but he wasn't there when it happened. That's what the police have said. Everyone has said that he wasn't there when the actual encounter happened. So, it's, in my mind, it's it's plausible. I'm not saying this is what happened because I don't. Again, I don't know this and I don't get to know it. But it's plausible that he came to the spot, saw what was happening, like kind of saw, hey, uh, you know, Darius Miles is drunk and angry. Maybe then saw the text, saw him get a gun out of his car, and said, "I'm getting out of here." Right, which. In that situation, what are we punishing him for, right? If, if he didn't know, he, I'm saying it's plausible to me, he didn't know that he was bringing the gun, then realized that's what happened and said, F*** this, I'm out of here. And that's probably what I would have done when I was 19, 20 years old, 
I would have that would have scared me, and I would have just left. Maybe you call the police, but like he's again, like it's your teammate, it's your friend. That's that's a complicated thing that I, I don't think we need to get into. Like right. some of the layers there. So the university itself, the athletic department itself, could have been more transparent, I guess, and said, "Hey, these guys. By the way, we're also on site at some point during all of this. We're looking into it. The police are looking into it." To me, that's the maximum of what they could have done in terms of like public information, right? And yes, you could have sat the kids, but for all we know, as part of an investigation, they talked to these kids, they investigated it, and they trust them. And is there incentive? Sure, but like, am I prepared to be just 100% cynical about it? Not really. Like, maybe it is just having some naive faith that uh, there's some goodwill here of like, just genuinely, they talk to them and feel that there was no real wrongdoing on the part of these two student athletes. And they feel that they'd be sitting them for something that they didn't do or whatever. You're right. People have been sat for less. But we've also seen people punished for things that they were ultimately absolved of. And I think then that opens a, a legal door for them if they sit Brandon Miller and Brandon Miller's draft stock falls and does it open them to some sort of down the road, like legal action from him or something like, you know, if it's turned out that he did nothing. And I just, I think it's so complicated and I'm not defending Alabama. Like I think that I'm, I'm more or less playing devil's advocate because I don't have the answer, right? Like if they sat him, I'd be sitting here. I'd be like, yeah, that's probably the right call. But them not sitting him, I'm like, yeah, I kind of understand that too. You know, I, I just think that like, there's not a clear-cut answer here for how to handle it, except for, like, Nate Oates personally could probably be handling this better. <laughs> yeah, he's he's having a rough go of it right but, now. But uh, to be fair, like, as a coach, don't you think you would be too? Like, Oh, sure. What, I'm what sure do he's, you do? <laughs> I'm sure he's not prepared and didn't think he was going to have to be dealing with this. One, one thing that I do think we should learn a lesson from but won't, as a society and sports writers is that there is still so much information and information from lawyers and testimony is being kind of telephoned around. Right. So, right. One of the things that was reported a couple of days ago was that Miller blocked in the victim's car. Uh Right. And since his, his lawyer has suggested that his car was already there and parked before the victim even showed up. Yeah. So, right. That's a huge difference of like, his involvement was he blocking someone in or was he already parked and had nothing to do with it right uh similarly like there's been mixed reporting of whether miller's car was hit mm-hmm. by bullets right so him being in the car where bullets are being hit versus being completely away from the scene yeah. that's two very different things as well and those are things that are not knowable right now so yeah it's it's one of those things that i just feel like Again, from a legal standard, I th- I feel like I hear people talk about what the legal standard is, and I don't think it's relevant, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't commit a crime, as far yeah. as we know right now. The prosecutor has said that. So we shouldn't hold people to those standards in these situations. But at the same time, student-athletes are held to different standards that are not legal. It's just you have team rules, you have university rules, you have all kinds of policies, right? right? Like driving around unknowingly with a gun in your car around the University of Alabama would have been a violation of the university policy. Did he do that? We don't know, right? Like, so there's just so many layers to this that I would think my instinct would be pull back and say, we got to figure this out. We got to figure out all the involvement. So how long do you sit him? 
till the thing is done because that means he's done playing college basketball. I mean, I I think these things take years to. I think that's the safer thing to do, honestly. Like, I understand that that is it sucks. He's still going to get drafted, probably. So you're sitting someone who police have said is a witness, not a suspect. So so at this point, so you're sitting, and again, mostly playing devil's advocate here, but like, I, I it doesn't sit well with me to bench a kid for being to set that precedent of like authorities say you're a witness to a crime, so we bench you. Like, I understand we have this game of telephone and all this stuff has come out, but, like, as of right now, do you the, think the if, police say he is a witness, and that you, is it. Do you think if they had benched him at the beginning of this, acknowledged that he was there as a cooperative witness, and then when this came out with the police saying that he's been cleared, they played him? That there Maybe would be, it feels, but the only difference there is what we know. That, that's my point. Right. So why does that matter? Why does what I know as a fan... I don't think that matters. I'm just... That would be the only difference. I'm just suggesting that that would make it seem like Alabama actually took it more seriously. And if that's what's important, then yes, that would be better. My argument would be, I don't care about their public image. Like, maybe they do, but I, I care more about what's right. So... If you're sitting someone just because they're a witness to a crime, like that's fine. Just tell us that's what you're doing, I guess. And okay, maybe we all feel a little bit better about it. But so how long do you sit it? Again, does it almost feel worse to me to say three game suspension and you bring him back? And it's like to me that cheapens it even more than just acknowledging and saying, "Hey, he's a witness." You know, I, I just think it's to me it seems more harmful in the it, so sitting him is more for Alabama's reputation. Not for what's right for Brandon Miller, the student athlete, or for Jaden Bradley, the student athlete. And to me, like, that's if that's your primary interest, like, I just don't think that's what this is about, right? It doesn't help the victim or the victim's family, which is obviously in the big picture the most important thing, but nothing Alabama can do right now helps them, right? Like, there's just nothing you can do about that. It doesn't do anything for. Darius Miles, he is in his place as he is the suspect and the legal process will take care of him, right? So now Alabama's responsibility is to Brandon Miller and to Jaden Bradley. The only thing I would say to that, I don't I don't disagree with you, but the only thing I would say to that is Alabama's responsibility is also as an educational institution is to all of its students. Sure, right? sure. And, and making sure that people feel safe. So... So that's from a PR perspective. It's not about what I think as a lonely podcaster, right? (laughs) Like it's uh, it's about what everybody in the community thinks and whether people feel safe, right? Yeah, that was the only thing I would say, right? And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Like like you said, I I don't have a good solution to all this. I think that some of the like he must be kicked out of the university immediately what is that date oats must i can't be fired like yeah. i i'm i'm with you i'm not i'm not there but at the same time there also just seems to be something that like it's an amazing revelation to happen yeah. at this point in the season with this level of a team with this level of a player and then to just see him out there right it's just I, it's kind of mind-blowing right like there's just something right. mind-blowing about that so i think if you're alabama right you also are thinking like you know what, like, we're obviously not as good without him, but you're still a decent team without him. And so, like, even that, I'm like, okay, so you let him play at the risk that eventually it's found that he really did something wrong here and maybe the NCAA makes you vacate wins or something like that. That, to me, seems worse, too. Then, like, you know, so that that's the part that makes me feel like they've done some level of their due diligence, at least, and are making the decision they feel is best, which... 
I guess, like, I just don't necessarily... I feel like they've acted reasonably. It may not be the best thing in the world at all times, right? And obviously there are Nate Oates handling something in a press conference not very well. Okay, cool. But, like, also we don't throw people in prison for that, right? I guess, like, there's the, the part of the last thing I'll say that kind of sums up my views on it is I've spent a lot of time trying to put myself sort of in Brandon Miller's shoes and think about the situation where I have done... Uh, the, the, the situation I've described where he's really done nothing wrong knowingly and is stuck in all of this and has no way to combat it because people are just going to think what they think. Right. And to me, then you throw on top of that, like a suspension or something like that. And if he's done nothing wrong, he's sitting there like, what the hell can I do? There's nothing. You have to let this trial play out, which again, will take, uh, who knows, months, years, like these things take time. So, so that like, I don't know. That's just hard for me to imagine. And again, it, it kind of like, I know we started this by saying we're not lawyers, but like, I think you and I both know enough about the legal system to be able to say that the legal system in this country operates on the principle that it is worse to imprison one innocent person than to let gu- any guilty people go. Like that is, I may not like it. I don't know, but that, that's what our legal system is based on. I don't know. I, I it's there isn't a clear answer, but I feel that what we've got so far is reasonable enough. While it may not be the best thing in the world, it's just there is nothing here that's going to make everybody feel warm and fuzzy and good. And you know, this is the one that I, they feel that they're doing what's best. And I, I have no reason to completely distrust them. I guess Nate Oates has lessened my confidence just at how tone deaf and seemingly flippant he was initially. Makes me yeah. makes me a little bit less like oh they're that. on top of things right like I, I get know. that reaction even if you like, come out and said what Billa said and just said like hey he's my player he has rights and I'm not going to talk about it you can well, it would have been way better it would have been a way better statement right like I don't know I've never been in a press conference like that I, it's hard for me to like he's a relatively young co- like he hasn't really <laughs> he hasn't had to deal with this so like it's again I'm trying to like put myself in people's shoes if i'm putting myself in his shoes i i can't say that i would say the right thing i probably would say a lot less <laughs> but like the part you were saying earlier about like deferring to the athletic director and stuff that would be me i'd be like you need to ask somebody yeah, who makes ask, more who ask not, him who has more who's higher up the ladder than i am maybe not making more money but higher up the ladder than i am because that's who i answer to so yeah i mean i think nate oates uh, saying less is more probably here but then again people are mad that the university didn't say enough so like you can't win but you're right. I mean, I'm not, again, definitely not defending his comments. He said some dumb things, but I liked his response about the pat down thing where he said, like, I wasn't aware of it. Now that I am, it has been handled and it will never happen again. I believe that. That felt very earnest to me. So that actually gave me more confidence the way he responded to that. Not a great look for them. <laughs> the whole thing sucks. The whole thing sucks. Look. It should just be a really fun basketball team. And it is. And I, I would so much rather spend time. I mean, I, this is what we need to be talking about with them, but I wish the case was that we could be talking about how good they are. Right. <laughs> because they are really damn good and have a real shot at winning this whole thing. Some more of those elite teams, we've, we've talked about like, who are the teams we trust to do it. They're falling. Purdue has lost like four of six. Like Teams like that are falling. It's Alabama right now. Like That's crazy to me. Yeah. Speaking of teams that are falling, we should go ahead and address... Sure. The elephant right. in the room, which is Virginia's poor play the last few games. Which I will point out that despite the fact 
that the sky appears to be falling, and I share many Virginia fans' perspectives on that, they still have won 11 of their last 14 games, right? So There's a lot of teams that would that would love to be in that situation. Right. But I don't want to bring a Pollyanna approach to this. I want to talk, I want to talk about this honestly. I don't know that you could if you wanted to. <laughs> no, I couldn't. I'm incapable of that. You were talking about being in people's shoes. I'm incapable of that too. Yeah. Empathy. So yeah, I don't have fair. that. So, yeah, disappointing loss to Boston College on Wednesday where the offense just completely didn't show up. That was and, bad. And then maybe not a surprising loss against North Carolina, but a little bit surprising just in terms of how many three-pointers North Carolina hit when they're not a good outside shooting team. The offense really struggled, particularly in the first half of that game. UVA kind of made it closer than it seemed for most of the game. It was you know in the 18-point range for a significant portion of the game. I don't know. I, my confidence is definitely shaken in them in a way that is not exciting going into the tournament, right? Like you want to, this is one of those things about order, right? If they had played this way in January and then flipped and were mm. really hitting the accelerator at this point in February, people would feel great about it. But yeah. kind of going going the other way as you go into March, definitely not. This is not the time you want to be trending down. It is interesting. I saw someone describe it, and and I think this is accurate, even though I don't think they're actually this bad. But someone described it just like in in like a week's time. It feels like Virginia went from being seeming more and more like an elite team, like a top of the top tier team, to like a middling ACC team, and that's how they feel right now. They're obviously not a middling ACC team, but in the Boston College and the UNC outings, that's what they looked like, and. That's at least what they felt like. That's not great, right? So the Boston College game, you know, uh, the interesting thing here is I think if they if they hadn't both happened, we'd be able to sit here and just be like, yep, they laid an egg one night. It's because they both happened, right? And, well, and also then you have the Louisville game, right? Like I was they, say, played, they he, escaped against Louisville and Notre Dame. You know, almost almost lost on a buzzer beater. Really, right. I mean, really since the Duke game, the Duke game since winning that game. Like, they have not played well. Really. You think Coach K did something about it? I've seen a lot of... Because he started showing up after that call. I've seen a lot of comments online that it's the karma. The mm. karma of that, that capital last K. call. Yeah, capital K karma showing up. I don't I don't believe in that. So No, I think it's... I Look, it is a flaw in this team that we've known has been there, right? Like, th- this team was going to, at some time, struggle to score. And... Thinking back to the game we talked at length about, the the NC State game that we were at, there was a time in the second half where State was able to sort of close the gap, not not fully, but able to sort of close the gap because UVA wasn't scoring as well. And and we know that those are going to happen. I've joked with you about, you know, when ESPN throws up the graphics of, like, field goal drought or whatever, in UVA games it just seems to happen so frequently. Right, you know, and, and and you've mentioned they are sometimes very sensitive to it, where they'd be like, "Oh my God, it's been thirty seconds!" Like <laughs> <laughs> they have the button ready anytime. God, I don't. This side note, I don't remember who this was, but I was watching a game yesterday, and somebody went like twelve minutes without a field goal. I want to say yeah. it was TCU or no, I don't remember. It doesn't matter, but it happened to somebody, and it was like this unbelievable thing. And then they just kind of moved moved on, and I was like, "Man, if that was UVA, they probably out." This, this is, is where this I is agree what with I say. You. This is what I say. It's like anytime a team does that, and there are several examples of that where, yeah. like, Kentucky will go eight minutes without a field goal, and then it's everyone's just like, "Well, that happens in basketball." But UVA, it's like, 
And this is why this will never work. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so anyway, I think that the the Boston College one kind of inexcusable. That's, that's not a very good team at all. No, I was with you when you were watching that game, and your reaction was as expected. Carolina, though, like, look, they were going to get somebody. They're they're desperate. Uh, I really thought that they were going to get State uh, last Sunday, but we came out like a team on fire. But you knew that, I mean, this team hears all the national talk about needing a quad one win, needing to beat a good team. and um, They know they're on the bubble. And right now, like, Joe Lenardi has them out. So they know they have work to do, um, lots of work to do. So it doesn't surprise me that they came out looking really good against UVA. It surprised me that it, that it worked as well as it did. Yeah, that they shot as well as they did. That, you know, Nance has looked like a different player these last couple games, which drives me insane. Because I he he uh, he finally found the Brady Manic amulet that was sitting around in the locker room. Ever since he punched Terquavion Smith in the nuts on Sunday, he found his new power. Okay, well, and Terquavion hasn't been able to hit Chris, shots. Chris since Paul then. had a good career after yeah. that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he, there's something. Maybe he absorbed something. But yeah, the offense, like it, it is, it's something, especially down the stretch of games where it feels like UVA finds themselves some of themselves having to hold on to a lead rather than being able to have some scoring punch at the end of the game to put a team away. It feels like UVA, it, like if you're making like a boxing analogy, like they're going to land a bunch of good hits throughout the first half, first three quarters of the match, and then they're going to try to withstand knockout punches rather than being able to give a knockout punch. They're going to go on the defensive and just withstand. Can you do that all the way to a Final Four run? I don't know. No, I think, so, a couple of things that, when I was thinking about talking about UVA, I went to, I went to the literature to figure, figure some things out. So, some stats that I think are worth looking at, and encourage anybody who is a Saber subscriber to read Chris's breakdown of this. He, he has a really detailed breakdown of UVA's small ball and what it's looked like over the last 12, 13 games, right? So... Despite the fact that they went to a smaller lineup, they've actually been hitting and taking fewer threes. So that's a problem, right? If you're going to go small, you have to be in a position to have more shooters. So Ben Vanderplas is one problem with that. He's been taking a decent amount of threes and missing them at a big clip. And then you have him going up and guarding somebody like Armando Baycott, he can't. No. Like, so that, that forced UVA into a lot of trapping situations, which UNC was very prepared for, which led to a lot Imagine. of open... Right. A lot of open threes, right? So it, it, that was one of those situations where I think you got to play... You got to play Caden Shedrick. You, yeah. have to, you have to play somebody bigger there when you have somebody... A, a team that plays from the inside out, like Carolina does. Mm-hmm. Right? So, th- so that's structurally, that's one problem. Some of it, I think, is just bad luck, right? So, like, uh, Danny Nickel, uh, who I encourage everybody to follow on Twitter, he has amazing stats on this. This is UVA's three-point shooting by month. November, they were ranked second in the country. December, 294th. January, they were ranked 18th at 40.6%. And in February, they were 331st in the country. So Is that good? No, it's not. <laughs> it's bad. So some of that, you just take all of that as a law of averages. He, he also had one tweet yesterday that I thought was interesting, which is if you take UVA's averages from the first 23 games, so their field goal, their uh, free throw percentage, their three-point percentage, and their close-to percentage, 
and you applied it over the last five games, they would have won all five easily, mm-hmm. right? Like they're down 10% in three-point shooting. They're down 17% at foul shooting. They're missing more than half of their shots around the rim. So I think some of that's bad luck. Some of that is shot selection. And some of it is the people that are out there. Like, I think there is a problem that you need to play Caden Shedrick more. Or Ryan Dunn more, Mm -hmm. right? These are two players that UVA has looked better when they are on the floor and they are not getting as much playing time. The I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because I think I've... I've been consistent in saying this. I have felt most of the season that UVA is the ACC team that is most likely to make a run, that I think is most equipped to make a run, outside of a dark horse thing like NC State or Clemson or Miami type thing that wouldn't be considered like... None of those teams have been in the top 10 this year. But you don't win championships by being that inconsistent, right? And that's what that is, is is inconsistent. Now, the, the hope would be, right... Seems that they're they're good shooters in odd months. So March is an odd month. The problem is then you make a run and you end up in April and go cold. I think I feel like most <laughs> UVA fans at this point would make that Faustian bargain. Like yeah. get us to the final four and then if we shoot five we'll percent from three against yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonzaga or something, whatever, fine. Right. But it is tough when when it's that inconsistent, right? When you're capable of being great, but capable of being great usually isn't enough. Now what I'll say is I think that, again, like the optimism here would be that if there's one year where just being capable of being great is good enough, it might be this year, right? Like, can you string it together for six games? Can, you know, can you just find the ability to, to, to get a good stretch in there? It's clearly there, right? Clearly they have the ability to get hot and to be one of the best shooting teams in the country. It's just being able to do that at the right time. So right now is the wrong time to be cold. But again, if if you're going to be cold to lose in the regular season to Boston College and, and Carolina and have close games against Louisville and Notre Dame, but the trade-off is then that surges up in the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament, like, great. <laughs> you know? So it's the fact that there's a, the, the ability to do it is there is good. I understand that where UVA has been as a program over the last several years, that's below the standard. So it's funny because I'm looking at it. I'm like, as an NC State fan, I would take that to know that my team is capable. Like, I'm thrilled at the fact that my team is capable of making a run. Likely? Probably not. Capable. I'll take it. As a UVA fan, though, I totally understand. Your standard is higher at this point. So you want consistent performance, not losing games to Boston College and stuff like that. I, that totally makes sense. Well, and I think the, the thing that fans aren't used to is the defense right mm-hmm. the defense has not been good for like they've given teams teams are shooting three pointers at a high clip and north carolina as bad as they've been all season i think it should be said they were given a lot of open threes in that game sure. uncontested threes so uva's defense was not ready for carolina mm-hmm. so i think that their uva fans are used to slug fests that are well played defensively even if the offense isn't always clicking but when you have a defense that's not as locked in as this team, I mean, they're still rated 27th by Ken Palm in overall defensive efficiency, but I don't know. They're, they're 89th in effective field goal percentage in what they're allowing opponents to shoot. So they're, they're not as good. They're not vintage UVA defense. No, for sure. Yeah, I think some of it, it it's, it's a lot of different things. I was, I was going through a bunch of 
message board comments, Twitter comments, and I got the whole gamut of Tony Bennett doesn't know how to coach to we're 100% fine mm-hmm. and just whatever, go with it. And I almost I almost made a list of like responding to, <laughs> to comments, but then decided I didn't want to be that guy. But I do think that there is definite cause for concern. The free throw shooting in particular seems way low at this point. That's the thing I would be more concerned about. And I think that you were, I, I kind of cut you off. Sorry, I think you were about to say this, but but that that concerned me from a psychological kind of mental perspective. Is, right. is this team, do they have that? Because, again, you know as a UVA fan and, and following the program when they made their run a few years back, like, that's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. Is this team equipped to handle that? And, like, I hate that. Like, I, we don't know that the answer to that, and we can't know the answer to that, but, like, you know, it's it's a team with some inexperience, and I mean, you have experience at the most important position, but Kihei's not a take over a game kind of person, right? Like that's that's going to be an issue. Your guy who needs to be a takeover, we talked about this the other day. Your guy that who needs to be a takeover the game kind of person is Reese Beekman, and he hasn't been that. So especially not of late. Yeah, and I think pure speculation on my part. I think he's not a hundred percent. This is just me speculating. I think since injuring his hamstring at the beginning of the year, he's clearly better than he was, but I think he has just never been 100%. I do think that there is some important perspective. You mentioned Purdue losing four of six, right? Tennessee had two really bad losses back to back. So I think the difference here for UVA is that the ACC seems so down as a conference, Mm -hmm. right? And that's impacted a lot of their their ratings and their metrics and what, you know, that's been the thing that's, you know, like if you look at Ken Palm, they've gone from like uh, 15th to 30 something, right? Even, even winning games closely, they've, they've dropped in those metrics as well. So, and I think a lot of that is just because of the ACC being bad. At least Ken Palm makes sense on like some of these net rankings. I can usually, I mean, I think sometimes Ken Palm overvalues certain, certain statistical things. And I think that, as much as I love analytics, they don't capture everything about the sport. Yeah, but I, should we talk about this? Because this is something that's come up a lot for UVA fans where they have seemed very exasperated even before the Boston College and North Carolina games. Winning against Louisville and Notre Dame dropped their... Oh, you their guys are worried rating. about net stuff. That yeah. surprises me. Because right. I, I think of it as a concern reserved for bubble teams. So, like, in the state fan base, there's tons of conversation about net rankings. I wouldn't have expected as much for UVA fans. I think people, I think there have been a lot of UVA fans that have just been upset that there are teams like Tennessee who lose a game, UVA wins a game close against a bad opponent, and how come we've dropped eight spots, whereas Tennessee basically stays the same. It is fascinating to, like... I was following, there was a big Twitter conversation about this this morning among NC State people about net rankings. And the the large takeaway, the big takeaway for most people was that the metric just seems to kind of suck. I mean, like, if you look at it now, it is, it is like, ostensibly, it is, it is so much more valuable to play Boise State or West Virginia than it is to play Miami, Carolina, Clemson, Pitt. These are all teams at the top of the ACC, not Carolina, but like Carolina was the preseason number one team. You can't tell me that's still not a good win to have or a quality loss, whatever that means, right? 
the it just seems that it overvalues certain teams. It loves certain conferences, seemingly. I think it was Brad Brownell that pointed out, like, hey, the net loves the Big Ten. ACC won the ACC Big Ten Challenge. <laughs> like, that doesn't really seem to... I have a hard time with that. You know, I just think that, like, bracketology stuff with Joe Lodardi and, like, bracket matrix to get an idea of all of them. And, like, West Virginia... An 11 seed, but not a play-in 11 seed, getting, a, a, I guess, what is now a bye in the tournament. They're 16 and 13. And the biggest win on their resume is a 25-point win over Pitt on November 11th. It To me, the, the problem is, like, in football, I understand the non-conference schedule thing because it's, like, 10-game season or whatever, 11 games. But, like, we're talking about a... a, a 35 game season beating Pitt in November should not be like more significant than I'm thinking for for state than beating Carolina in late February like that should be massive a, a, a desperate Carolina team that obviously has talent is a big deal right it, I just I can't make sense of some of the some of the net stuff I don't know what the perspective has been on the UVA side but. well I think and I'm I'm actually very pro analytics, so I actually am more sympathetic to this than otherwise some fans might be here. But it is it is interesting because at the end of the day, it's supposed to be about winning games. But at the same time, the net has incorporated a lot more about how efficient you are offensively and defensively, right? Sure. So, and and that's where those Ken Palm rankings come in too, because that those are major elements about that. The the one thing I would say about the net that is a little misleading is that you know some of those games where UVA has in hand but kind of lets the other team shoot some shots at the end, right? That that can actually matter at the end of a a net ranking. Like you can drop some spots if you're not being crisp, having that offensive efficiency at the end of games with subs at the end of your bench or. Same thing with defense. You're allowing the other team to score. But at the same time, like, I think it's good to have a better metric. Like, the net, I think, is way better than RPI that they had for so sure. long, which was just, like, winning percentage. Your winning percentage and your opponent's winning percentage, basically. But I think you have to balance those two things a little bit better. So right now, it feels like we're overvaluing the analytics, the efficiency stuff. Because, it, so what's funny is it's, like, most of the people who defend the net, at least what I have seen is like fans or people who cover teams who have like a decent amount of losses. And so it's basically been a way of saying like, no, we're good. We're efficient at this, but you're not actually winning games. Well, if, you're, if you're West Virginia, right? So take West Virginia as the example you brought up. Sure. There's a team that has 13 losses overall in the season, but they've played in probably the best conference in the big 12. Yeah. And routinely have, games that are close like they just went to kansas and lost by two points yesterday do i think they should be in the tournament i i don't know like i but but they are 27th in the net right but it's because they've played they have played good basketball and have a lot of close losses against really good teams i don't know that that should put them in like that shouldn't be the only thing that puts them in like if you lose 13 games maybe you shouldn't be in the tournament but at the same time like, I get why they are ranked higher than some other teams like Clemson. I just feel like when you look at it and say, okay, so West Virginia has 12 quad one losses. So you're getting, yes, you've played, you've played really good teams. 
you've also lost to them. <laughs> so, like, okay, it was close. That's great. You lost to them. Like, to me, that should matter. And it doesn't seem to matter as much as I would think. And so, like, there's so much here that just doesn't make sense. So, uh, uh, Carolina beat UVA, a top 10 team, right? Like, not in the net, but a top 10 team. A team that we all, looking around the country, everybody would look at UVA and say, that is a really good team at the top of their conference. Carolina beat them by eight. USC beats Utah on the roads. Utah is 17 and 13. And USC jumps Carolina in the in the net rankings. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, but if you're looking at it based on how they're like the shots that they're making, hitting shots. Sure. Well, and the big defense here was about beating the spread too, and that so so UNC beat the spread by six. USC beat the spread by fifteen. Okay, so therefore it was also on the road, so it was graded more highly. But then, so you look at that. Okay, so Pitt. Pitt is 28-1 and one against the spread this year. So 71.4% cover rate. It's the highest cover rate of any team in the whole country. It's pretty good. One seed. Let's go. Give it to them. <laughs> Kansas is only 14-15 and 15 against the spread. Should they be on the bubble? I think... <laughs> I think that's not quite what they what the no, but no. like it's it's an exaggeration of what it is right. because it is taking these analytics and making them mean. At this point, I, I get balancing them out with actual results, but at this point, because you know the committee is going to consider this stuff very heavily, at this point, the analytics have come to mean more than game results, in my opinion. I don't think more. I think they are definitely heavier weighted than in the past. And I think people aren't used to that. Right? Like, I think people are used to looking at a record and having that be a major determinant or a top 25 ranking and having that be a major determinant of where the seed is. And then now that there are some efficiency things that people don't understand included in it, it's... But I, I mean, I don't think it, I don't think we can just dismiss it as saying people just don't under Like, I feel like I understand efficiency stats fine. And I still hate it. Like, I have an issue with how much it's weighted. It's not that I don't get it. <laughs> like, I totally understand it. But I also think winning games matters. So, I can't look at West Virginia and say, you're 16 and 13. You should be in before Clemson. That, to me, or Charleston, who's going to win 30 games. <laughs> like, how do you But put- you understand, like, Charleston, like, their strength of schedule is terrible. That's fine, but, like, they won 30 games. Like, they have played one quad one game all season. Okay. One. Okay. And they lost it. So, like, and, and I'm a Charleston fan. I'm not saying anything bad about Charleston. Put them in the tournament. I think it's great. Put them in the tournament, and they're going to... I tell you what, Charleston versus West Virginia at a neutral site, I'm betting on Charleston. Put them in the first, the first four. I'd watch. Or, like, we don't have to go that extreme. Clemson and West Virginia. Carolina and West Virginia. Texas Tech in West Virginia, Michigan in West Virginia, Oklahoma State. Like, these are all teams. Mississippi State. These are all teams I would take over a team like West Virginia. But West Virginia, the net loves. I think I do think that there is – it is very difficult. And this is dif- difficult in college football as well, right? You have conferences that are so much different. The SEC in college football this year, the Big 12 in college basketball. Really, any of those teams look on – from the eye test and on paper, look like 
tournament teams. You could mm-hmm. put all of them in. And the ACC is used to that happening as well. And the ACC has had many years where, I don't know, I, as a fan of the ACC to watch all their games, I could talk myself into putting 12 teams into the tournament every year. This year doesn't feel that way. And a lot of, the I don't ACC think it should be down, that much, but, but I think it should be more than what it's probably going to be. Right. Also, I hate Carolina. I hope they all live a miserable life forever. Every single person who's ever pulled for them, played for them, anything, associated themselves with that program at all, should be miserable. I think we can all say that like that team should probably be in the tournament on some level. I, I don't know. Like I, I hate their numbers. The only thing about them, like UVA is their only quad. That's that's the argument you can make against Carolina. There was but, their first win against an actually good team. But even this that, entire year. so this is my thing. Even that, like waiting it and saying, well, this is their only quad one win, or they're they are this against quad one. All that's determined by net. So if you hate the metric, then the thing that's that's what the quads are. So like I'm saying that if I beat West Virginia right now, that's a quad one win. But they're they're not good. Okay, I've, wa- I've watched them play, and, and I understand the eye test is unsophisticated and all this stuff. And like, I I get it, but they're not good. I understand your perspective. <laughs> what I would say about UNC, even if you don't buy the quad system, you could say their best wins this year are against UVA and NC State. Yeah, those are their best wins. Maybe against Michigan. That's it. Those are the those are the three games that are. But if NC State, regardless of what I test, just just look at look at their the teams that they have beaten this year. Sure, find find games that you think like, wow, that was an impressive win. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be in the tournament; they probably right. should. But I'm just saying like, you could you can do this without looking at the net. You could just look at their schedule, look at their only wins and losses, and say, man, they have a lot of games where they just didn't beat good teams. So here's where I have an issue with it: if NC State beats Clemson. Which they who, didn't do twice. Which they didn't do. But if they beat Clemson, who the net also doesn't like, State's higher, and now Carolina has a higher quality win over NC State. Because State, like possibly quad one, possibly not. Depending on which one we win. The home or the away game. It's the same team. This is why, like, it, it just doesn't... It's wild to me how much it values that, which is very much an eye test type thing to value. Home or away, there's no number. Like, that's not, to me, that is not really a quantifiable thing. So, but but the net absolutely puts a number on it. My point is, like, if State beats Syracuse and Clemson or something like that, like, State has, beats Wake Forest by more or, or something like that. Now, all of a sudden, that's a quad one win for Carolina. It's the same team. Nothing has changed other than the fact that a result was slightly different. Like, it could even be, like, the the fact that it blows my mind how much, like, winning by 15 versus winning by 10. We're looking at that and right. say, like, okay, God knows what affects that. Teams put in walk-ons at end of games sometimes. Right, and that, that's, the, that's the part that UVA fans have been mad about. Right. right, or it's senior night and they start a walk-on or something like that. And then they give up a few points early. That ultimately affects everything. Or there are officiating things that make a difference in scores. To me, it, it's it's just, it's overvalued. And I guess we don't know. Let me walk that back a second because we don't know how much is valued until we see what the committee does right. ultimately. But in terms of how much it has shaped our conversation about the tournament, to me, we've we've swung the pendulum too far in the other direction of analytics. And again, I love analytics, but I, I, I hate to keep picking on West Virginia. I really do. <laughs> 
This is now an anti-West Virginia <laughs> podcast. But, like, no one who has watched that team would seriously look at them and be like, oh, they are better than all those teams I just listed a few minutes ago. I, the only thing I would they literally almost won at Kansas yesterday. State the almost beat Kansas? Those are two teams that I think should be in the tournament, right? Like, I don't... I think both teams should be in the tournament. You think West Virginia should be in the tournament? I mean, I don't know. Like, I think they're... I, Over Clemson, for example. Let's just pick no, one. No, I don't. I think Clemson should be in the tournament. All right. Like, I think... Most... The, the net has them way below. Right. I understand that. Like, I think... Let, let me rephrase that. I think both of those teams would be very dangerous in the tournament. Right? Like, I don't know who... How many spots there will be or how many automatic qualifiers will get eaten up, you know, during the tournaments... Those all seem like tournament teams to me. Watching them, just watching them. Sure, this is but, but and and there there's a narrative here that I actually really believe in, which is this is what happens when Carolina and Duke are not elite in the ACC. Is now the narrative bad? Now the narrative is the ACC is, is is bad. The ACC is not bad. It's just that there's nobody at the top who's like amazing. So you go down the list, and those are those are good teams. That these teams are losing to. So I'm looking right now. I just have bracket matrix up. And it has some at-larges that are are right on the edge of things. Arizona State, North Carolina, Utah State, Penn State, Texas Tech, Clemson, and Michigan. I I will admittedly say I have not watched a lot of Utah State or Penn State. Penn State can play, man. I have watched the other five teams several times this year. And, like, again, I test whatever. I know. I can go myself with that but like those are good teams those are tournament teams Arizona State is absolutely a tournament team it is it's it's insane to me that they would even be considered to to not be and all it takes right is like so they beat Arizona on a buzzer beater if they had beaten Arizona by five points we wouldn't even be having the conversation they would just be a lock which is an exaggeration I don't think that's it's an exaggeration but they'd be a lot more comfortable you can't deny that. If they made more shots in, on, in the game. But, but and, like three more played, shots. And played defense better. But like, like three more shots. I'm not talking about something that makes a huge a, difference in who they this are. Turn in, how did this podcast turn into me defending the net? That's not I don't know. I, don't, that's, I didn't think that was how this was going to be when I woke up this morning. So like I get the stats, right? So, okay. Here's where I think it meets, where, where it makes sense. NC State yesterday, uh, blown out by Clemson. Embarrassing performance consistent with kind of the analytics of the whole thing. So NC State is number five in defensive adjusted efficiency. This has been a problem throughout Kevin Keats' tenure um, in his years, uh, 114, 71st, 70th, 66th, and 233rd last year. Not great. Not great. So this is consistent. That's where I can look at the numbers and say, yeah, this team is not a great defensive team, right? That being said, if I had to... I think there's something worth uh, uh, looking at, something worth considering when a team has won, what, 22 games at this point in the season, right? So, like, that should matter. And I think it does. Like, I think State's in the tournament comfortably at this point. But still, to me, to have them anywhere near a team like West Virginia or Memphis, we can pick on somebody else. Like, a team that I just don't think is that good. Memphis doesn't have the same kind of defense of their schedule <laughs> like it's it's also not not all that great they've just piled up a bunch of quad two wins and all of a sudden that's good so like I, that's what i just don't quite don't quite understand and, and maybe that is me being too old-fashioned but 
you know, State has the opposite problem UVA has. Can't stop anybody. Can score fine, right, most times. There's some efficiency problems lately. But I just, I don't know, man. I think, like, we're, the numbers are great and can be helpful in helping to understand, I think, some situations where teams are really close to each other. But when there's an outlier, like, you have West Virginia and everybody who's watching the sport says, hey, this team doesn't actually seem that great. I'm not the only one who looks at them and says, make it make sense. There's so many, like, it's everybody who's watching this is like, eh, okay, sure, they've lost close games. But I don't know. I've almost done a lot of things in my life. <laughs> Should I get credit for those too? The one that stuck with me for a long time was Ohio State, which beat Illinois today. But for a long time, even though they just finished a nine-game losing streak, was pretty high up in Ken Palm and the net until the last few games just because of their overall numbers and they had a lot of close losses in the Big Ten which is a big conference right so like people were still kind of trying to make Ohio State a thing but I think they nine losses is the number that will get you out of there I want to I want to move on from this I do too because I'm now I'm upset because I feel like I'm gonna watch a tournament where Rutgers is like a two seed (laughs) I don't. I don't think that's because they be, were real close. <laughs> I don't think that's. I don't think that's going to be the main thing. It'll be one. I think it. It's well, going like, to be West like Virginia. You, like you said earlier, I think it'll be the. I think it'll be the tiebreaker for bubble teams. It'll yeah. be the tiebreaker that keeps a Charleston out of the tournament if they don't win their conference tournament and put West Virginia in. At over which point them. they will have won 30, 31 games. I think. Right. It makes. It's yeah. That's just <laughs> anyway. I want, to, I want to ask you, you brought up NC State. Does giving up 96 points to Clemson trouble you for your tournament success? It sucks. I mean, this is this is the thing that we always knew. We've known all season this can happen, right? That, like, we can have a bad defensive game, which, which uh, the coaching part of me hates because you can have a bad shooting game. Having a bad defensive game shouldn't happen. But like, the numbers tell us it's not a great defensive team overall. I mean, Clemson shot the ball really well. I think in the first half, they were like 70% from three. So you brought this up earlier with UVA. Sometimes there's some luck involved. Like this was bad luck in terms of a team. I mean, there were threes they were making that were like bouncing around and rolling in. And it was just kind of like, damn, like they're they're getting everything to go. Um, and we weren't. Terquavion has gone down in efficiency recently. It was a bad day to have a bad day. It It, it worries me from the perspective of like, we know what's going to stop us if we're going to make some sort of run. But to me, it's, it's in that sense, it's no different from UVA. You know it could just be a cold day and, and you're done. Um, but at the same time, right now, I feel like we're playing with house money. Like, this is not what I expected. This is not what I think anybody really expected in terms of how this season was going to go. So everything kind of feels bonus from here. A run would be amazing, right? Don't get me wrong. You want to take advantage of it when it's there. Especially now college basketball feels like such a year-to-year sport. Go ahead and make the run while you can. But at the same time, like, I mean, am I worried about it? Sure. But, like, also, like, as I just made clear, I think Clemson's a good team. So losing to them, there's no shame in that. And then it happened to be that much because they were shooting the ball well. And we made some mistakes defensively. And we still have some injury. I mean, Jack Clark is a big part of our team and just went down again. Um, He came back from injury and then has a concussion now. So... Like, that sucks, and that changes our, our complexion on both sides of the ball. 
I don't know. I'm not that worried about it. And I, and now there's talk that like Casey may be considering another year, and like DJ Burns may be considering another. The only person who can't come back is Jarkel Joyner, and that's big. But we also have like uh, suddenly good looking recruiting class coming in, and if one of those two decides to come back and. There's even this, like, part of the fan base that has this pipe dream that Terquavion is going to decide to come back. Good luck to those people. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think it's impossible because I think his stock has dipped a little bit lately. And if it continues, if he doesn't bounce back, I could see him coming back potentially. He is a unique situation in the sense that, like, he, as a recruit, was not somebody that people thought was going to be, like, a big-time pro. Um, and he legitimately seems to love NC State and love being a college athlete. NIL makes it easier. The draft class next year looks a lot weaker. So maybe it looks better for him in that sense. I don't know. I'm not. I, I, I think I think mostly that's informed by my listening to UVA fans who are like, oh, maybe if Reese just kind of struggles sure. enough, sure. he will come back. It's like, mm, I would I'd much rather make the run. It would be cool to have an athlete be a lottery pick. How about that? Like, that would be good for and the I, program. Yeah, I think the, the, the better thing for me right now, in my mind, is Terquavion gets hot again. We're firing on all cylinders. Jack Clark comes back, plays healthy. I'd love for Mahorchich to come back. But it seems like that's just not going to happen because he makes our interior defense so much better. As much as I love DJ Burns offensively, he's not stopping anybody. So having a big who could actually play defense, who's taller than DJ Burns, but also moves better laterally, if we were to get healthy, I think this team totally can make a run. Even without, I think, can sniff Sweet 16, surprise run at Elite 8, potentially. I mean, I think this team can score with anybody, so you just never know. I'm not that worried. You know, I'll take it. I'll take whatever. We're going to make the tournament, which is absolutely nuts to me. If we don't make the tournament, I'm burning everything down. <laughs> yeah. It, the, I think one of the things that I've come to realize, having won and lost in spectacular fashion recently with UVA. The tournament really shouldn't be the biggest indicator of your program, right? Like St. Peter's right. is not a good program and made a big run in the tournament last year, right? Yeah. But they're nothing in the grand context of college basketball. I couldn't even tell you how they're doing this year. Not good. Yeah. So, and, and then there are just, within the season, things can change so quickly. Like, Clemson seemed like an easy win for UVA, from my perspective, two weeks ago. When they were struggling with Boston College and Miami and Carolina. And then they lost to Louisville. Like, they lost to Louisville. UVA almost lost to Louisville. Clemson went and did it. But almost doesn't count. Right? They lost by 10 points right. against Louisville. And then, to come right back and score 91 against Syracuse... 96 against NC State. Now suddenly I'm terrified. Like, how many points are they going to put up against UVA's defense that isn't playing well? This is the thing is like, Clemson had a bad day against Louisville and Louisville had a good day. And Louisville has one very good player. Like, L. Ellis is really good. And I would trade somebody for him. Not either of my starting guards, but that's a good player. And, and you know, it's college basketball. Like, these are Ultimately, these are kids and things just happen, right? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, again, I will say the thing we've said all season. It's going to be a fun ACC tournament. It's going to be a fun NCAA tournament just in terms of potential for chaos, unpredictability. Yeah, I think we should just put everybody in. Have a, have a, let's just go ahead and have a 363 team tournament and let's just, let's just see what happens. Roll the ball out there and let it all, 
The ball can, is tipped. You could play multiple games at once uh, on the same court, potentially. Uh, just sideways. Just half court. Just, just let it happen. Yeah. Just let it happen. Um, because it's like, it is crazy. And, and I, I'm joking, obviously, but there is chaos to this where you have like, you know, I mentioned, I think a couple episodes ago, like my alma mater of Elon, which has been so bad all year and then rattled off like a five game winning streak at the end of the season. Who knows what could happen, right? Like it's, you just, you're never, or like, you know, Alabama gets a one seed and then something comes out and Brandon Miller gets suspended and now it's like a totally different ball game. Um, So it's just like, I'm excited to kind of see how, especially how the ACC tournament plays out. There's some huge regular season games coming to sort of iron out what that looks like. Again, wild to me that Clemson could get a double bye in the ACC tournament and be left out of the NCAA tournament. That's a, that, <laughs> I, you will never be able to make that scenario make sense to me, but it is entirely within the realm of possibility. I hope it doesn't happen because I think Clemson is a team that deserves it. But I think we should just point out also beyond our two schools, Miami blowing a 25 point lead Unreal. against Florida State. Miami is the team that I felt the most confident about, like way more confident about them than UVA. They've been playing great basketball, they have great guard play. Florida State's been terrible. Yeah. And they're up 25 at home. And they lose the game. How? (laughs) How does that happen? I don't know. I I, I think there was a stretch yesterday where I was flipping through, like, the ends of some games. Like, the UConn women's game came down to the buzzer. Arizona Arizona State came down to the buzzer. The Michigan State-Iowa game went to overtime. And then this game. But this game I had dismissed. I was like, oh, they're up by 25. I don't have to, you know... I, I don't have to pay attention to that one anymore. There's all these close games. I'm going to watch them. My team's already been pulling out today, so I can watch a bunch of really good close games. And then I got like a ESPN alert or something that was like, can Florida State complete the comeback? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, what is happening? Did Jameis Winston start playing football or basketball for Florida State and leading some miraculous comeback? It was unreal. I don't know how you let that happen. I mean, the shot that Miami made... To go up at the end, kick out to the corner. Jordan Miller makes a three to go in, and then you get this like heave from Matthew Cleveland, who is kind of having a disappointing year. Pretty cool. I mean, that's the thing when you're a team that's not that good and you're not going to make the tournament. That's the kind of thing you have to you hang your hat on. Is like, hey, we got this really cool big win at the end of the season against a rival on their court. It's just bizarre, though. It's bizarre. Like, I, it, like, I don't know why. What it really makes me think is, like, why do I spend mental energy and my livelihood on yeah. this? But this is the thing. It's like, right. I mean, just throw marbles into a ditch and see which one pop- <laughs> I mean, like, that. that's what it feels like. It's, it's like, Pitt is a team that I thought was an instant failure at the beginning of the year. Had some people that I thought they were going to be better than last year. But Jeff Capel was absolutely going to get fired. He's probably the coach of the year in the ACC. They're going to be the one seed, very likely, in the yeah. ACC tournament. That's crazy. That's crazy. And at the same time, and maybe this is just like bias from past years coming into my brain, but I feel like I would rather play Pitt than Florida State right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know why. I, I like, There's nothing there that really makes sense to me. Like, statistically for this year, obviously Pitt's way better. Or I'd rather play Pitt than Syracuse. I don't know, but this is my defense for why the ACC actually isn't as bad as I think some analysts want to say that it is, is because even those teams that are toward the bottom, 
outside. Like, I don't think Louisville is generally dangerous, but like Notre Dame has played a bunch of close games recently. You know, there's definitely some teams who are lower down that you're like, yeah, I think I think that's just finishing up on the ACC here. I think because Georgia Tech and Louisville are so bad, it makes the rest of the conference look bad. Mm. And the Big 12 doesn't have that. Yeah. Like even their worst teams are competitive and fight and do did well in non-conference. Mm-hmm. Louisville's just a disaster outside of beating Clemson. That's the only good thing that's happened to them this year. So, it makes the rest of the conference look like it's a down year, but probably, you know. Yeah. I don't know. ACC tournament is going to be a lot of fun. I I would have said that I would have put my money on Miami, but blowing a 25-point lead has me a little bit shaken. At Who this knows? Point. There's nobody really to, to surefire bet on. Yeah, interested to see that next week. But yeah, a lot of, we'll see. We'll see if our programs can back, get, get back into the winning column this week with some big games. Yeah, we got Duke. That's a big one. At Duke. We got Louisville, one so, of the best teams. Is that a quad one, quad that, eight? I don't know. That would know. be quad one at this point. Who all right. cares? You're playing Duke and Cameron. That's all that matters. Speak it. If we can just almost win, I hear that'll one seed. Lock it up. There you go. We're going to have a net expert on. Uh, if you have any uh, questions or are somebody who knows more about analytics than my partner here, you can reach out to the show at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com. You can also subscribe on any of the podcasters that are out there, like Spotify or Apple or Stitcher. Stitcher? I, I don't know what we're on. Are we on Amazon? All, yeah, Amazon. We're on all of the, do all the main ones. So go ahead and subscribe. Hit that like button and leave us a review. And hopefully this week we'll bring some wins so that we can actually be in a better mood for talking about basketball next week. Let's do it.